Attacks. Attacks. S words. Sword. Whoa. Whoa. Holy Whoa. slammer. Whoa. You're about to knife someone right in the Whoa. face. <laughs> Anybody else playing uh, knife? Please. I don't think Please. so. Please. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we use subtle communication to shed cards and beat the game. Next up, we wield the forces of dark and light to twist the fate of our opponents in Nevermore. And lastly, we spiral our way to the center of the board in Roundabout Ludo. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and I'm a veteran of about 100 Axis and Allies wars. I'm Ed Povolitis, and war is merely the continuation of politics by other means. I'm Joe Unfried, and I'm proud to announce that Which Game First has signed a deal and a business proposition in Vernon, New Jersey to reopen Action Park. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and the cake is a lie. Our first game up this week is The Game, designed by Stefan Bendorf. The version we played was IDW and Pandasaurus Games 2015. Number players 1 to 5, ages 8 and up. Runtime, 20 minutes. Ed introduced me to this game, and I was taken by the spooky box and the cooperative theme. Since there were five of us playing, we each started the game with six cards. They were numbered between one and a hundred. Four discard piles are placed in the center of the table. Two where you'll place numbers going up to a hundred, and two where you'll be placing numbers going down from 100. Each turn, players must discard at least two cards from their hand onto one or more discard piles. The rule for placing a card is simple. If you are placing it on a pile going down, it needs to be lower than the number currently there. And if you're placing it on a pile going up, it needs to be higher than the card that's already there. You then pick more cards from the draw pile and keep going till all the cards are gone. Now here's the twist. It's a cooperative game where you are all trying to place all the cards to win, but you can't communicate the exact numbers you have in your hand to one another. So creative language is the name of the game. If you clear all the cards, you beat the game as a group. Anything less is a measure of failure. I was intrigued by the idea of a communal card game where we all win or lose together. We were all at the table for this game. Ed, what did you think? The concept is very easy to pick up, but while you beat the game, or will the game play you? Evan, how about you? Cooperative games are fun. Cooperative people, well, that depends on the people now, doesn't it? (laughs) Joe, how about you? I don't know how, but there was a tremendous sense of urgency that I think was optimized by being illustrated on the cards by just raw numbers. And Mike, how about you? Can five weirdos subtly communicate an accurate plan? Let's find out. (laughs) I went from thinking, how can you not beat this game? But as we played on, I started to think, how the heck are we going to beat this game? (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't play in that pile. No, no, no. I got got the perfect thing for that. I have something close. (laughs) One of the best mechanics to get you through the game is the fix mechanic. Oh, yes. So the fix mechanic allows you to say, hey, Evan, I can fix that pile. 
it tells the other players that you have a card that is either 10 higher or 10 lower, depending on which pile you're going to place it on. And you can place it on that pile to go backwards so the pile doesn't keep moving forward. So look for that nice fix there, and I can pull the double fix. I can fix, fix nothing. Fix, fix. I can harm everything on the Yes, board. I can do I lots can of damage. I can sabotage this community. <laughs> I can do epic amount of damage right now. <laughs> Once a pile moves all the way forward, you can't put any more cards. You're stuck. Right. It's really the only mechanic that allows you to convey an exact number in the game because it is strictly taboo to say any numbers whatsoever in the game otherwise. It's not really called fixing it in the rules, but basically it is the only way we can go backwards in the game. Mike, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, in this game, it actually <laughs> is good to rewind and go backwards a little bit. <laughs> yep. The only real rule on the communication is relating concrete numbers in any way is strictly forbidden. Right, which made me feel like the whole game I was cheating because there's really a lot of ways to not say a number and still be very specific about what number you're trying to convey. And there's almost no way around it. Like, like I came up with the word skim. Like, I'm gonna, I can skim that number, you know, which... When you said it, I took to mean it was one or two higher or lower. Right, and then if you expand on that, you know, I could say I could skim it really close. <laughs> it does feel a little cheaty. Well, you could say you skim it for two or you bump it for one. Yeah, so there's some people come up with different language and different terms. Like in the other game I was playing, it's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm adjacent to this one or uh, yeah. I'm near in the neighborhood, so I'm on the same street. Right, so, so basically every group is going to create language that essentially communicates very closely to... I would say at least five points of the card you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And then you've also got the 10-point fix, idea, you know, the fix thing to communicate. So Right, which says I'm exactly 10 away. So right, and if you're beyond five from that card, then you're getting into territory like you don't want to place if you're like more than five or six or seven from that card. Although it is fun once in a while when you have to place two cards and you've got nothing close to any of the discard <laughs> piles and you have to wreck a pile. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the real official language. I'm going to wreck this pile. <laughs> <laughs> so which one do you want me to wreck? Because I got to wreck something here. Something, one of these is getting nuked. Let me just put it this way. My hand works can't do that. I'd kill everything. <laughs> AOE damage. Scorched Earth policy. I'm going to play my whole hand out. Remember the dragon breathing on the whole thing? I still have to play two of these clunkers here yeah <laughs> yeah and it's fun it's a lot of fun to sort of work together and say oh don't touch that one don't touch because you feel like you're doing something good for your neighbor all the time which i liked it, it feels like a puzzle game that you're all trying to solve at the same time yeah, yeah, but there's not a lot of pieces to this puzzle, unfortunately. Like, I kind of wish the game had a twist where you uh, occasionally draw a card that forces you to, like, lie about something in your hand or Ooh. gives you some kind of benefit, like, Ooh. lets somebody show two of their cards or, you know, some interesting thing that they mixed into the to the mix. There is an expansion to this game. The Game on Fire is a mini expansion that consists of six cards. When one of these cards is played, that card must be covered by the end of the next player's turn or else the players have lost the game. Whoa. It has to be covered. What do they mean covered? Another card has to be discarded on top of it. Right. On the next turn. Or the players lose. And they're blue colored ah. cards instead of the uh, red colored cards. So that expansion basically adds forced discarding. Basically, when you put that on a pile, somebody has to use the, uh, cover up that pile on the next turn. Ah, so it makes you wreck piles more often. Yeah. 
It sounds like it would. Yeah, yeah if you're fourth. That's interesting. So it just basically makes the game a little harder. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, can we talk about the theme of the game and the name of the game for a minute? <laughs> so <laughs> on the cover is this spooky like skull in red and black. Yeah, it definitely has a dark theme. Yeah, it has a very dark theme, but then it the theme disappears after the box cover, basically. Right. Yeah, the font kind of lend to a kind of a slasher thriller type game, too. I was very surprised to see the game had no direct relation to the 28 Days Later franchise. Yeah. You're right. It did have a lot of feel of 28 Days Later in the style of the graphics. A biohazard feel to it. I kind of felt like it was something that you... You're playing like against the devil. You want to survive? Let's play the game. Right, but you had to imagine that theme. Oh, yeah. There was no, there's not much to lead to that thought. And and I'm looking at the rules and I don't see any mention of theme whatsoever in the rules. No, not nothing in the intro, nothing even in in, uh, how to win the game or what happens when you lose. It's like art in a modern art museum. (laughs) You could easily put this game together as like a brightly colored kids type of game. Oh, sure. And I've seen some people uh, ask for that specifically, too. Yeah, I'm sure they did because this is an awesome game for a parent to want to play with their kids up and down numbers. But you don't want to truck out, you know, a picture of a dark skull in front of your kids (laughs) to play this game. Not necessarily. I felt like we were sort of trapped in a safe or a sinking ship or something. And, you know, we needed to find a combination. And and the numbers were referring to, like, how much air we had left or something. So maybe they left the theme that open on purpose so we could all have our own interpretation of what it was instead of having to develop it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they kind of left it to the theater of the mind, as it were. Of the mind. Then on top of that, naming it The Game, which is so incredibly... Generic? Yeah, it's so incredibly generic that you can't even search for it on Google. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. I mean, it's supposed to invoke mystery, you know, like The Game. Okay, I looked it up online. Uh... Baseball came up, and uh, <laughs> you know. yeah, did you see the game last and, night. And the tagline doesn't help either. <laughs> Are you ready to play? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of looked at it for the game, the card game. You know, typed in yeah. the game, mm-hmm. the card game. That helped. There's a game called Card Game, the board game, though, which might get mixed up with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, it has only dice and spinners in it, though. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, making a card game and then like having the audacity or the pretentiousness <laughs> to name it the game. <laughs> like my my game deserves the name the game. You know, I'm taking the meta title. The only thing more pretentious would it be if the if the word the were in all caps, like the game. The game. The game. <laughs> the, the game. Well, maybe uh, their, their play was an attempt to, to win an award because they did get nominated for the Field of Jars in 2015. And I'm starting to wonder if any game doesn't get nominated. Give them your $50 application fee and you're, you're in the running for the Field of Jars. You're nominated, quote unquote. <laughs> And for an extra ten dollars, they will make they will make up a new category for you to win in. To be recognized by Spiel Jaris, it is it does have to be a reasonably well put together game, and this game is well put together as far as the mechanics. And I certainly had fun, and it did inspire good feelings, um, which is nice because you know we play a lot of competitive games, and they can get a little ugly once in a while, bumpy <laughs> and argumentative. And there's no, I mean, I guess you could have a fight about this game, but really it does a good job of inspiring 
a sense of community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if anyone in the team is a card counter, that's an advantage. Actually, mm-hmm. Evan, I saw online that people were playing with the cards fanned out. I knew it. Oh, so you didn't <laughs> have to. Oh. You don't need to remember the cards. The, the pictures in a rule book actually show them being stacked on top of one another. So. Interesting. That's interesting because those people online were cheating, Celeste. I mean, personally, I'm a proponent of if their information has already been shown, just show it because don't make me dig out a notebook to keep track of it. It's just dumb. <laughs> unless it says no notebook, right? I mean, unless yeah, it right, actually exactly. classifies, you got to remember or forget it. Yeah, if the game is about memorizing stuff, then sure, but you know. Yeah. Games where the information has been out there already. I just don't want to sit there and try to memorize it while I'm having fun. Right. That's not as fun for me. So we played right. a more difficult level or difficult version. We played hard mode. Yeah, we played in the hard mode. Very good. <laughs> right. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury the game. Ed, how about you? It's a cooperative game where the game is good communication, so dig it up. Evan, how about you? It's a fun party game, as most cooperative games are so in the right setting it's a dig up joe how about you i can't stop thinking about how urgent this game felt throughout the time we were playing it dig it up and mike how about you Mm, i don't know how many more times i'd play this before i get bored but for now i'd like to try it a couple more so i'd say dig it up i'm gonna say dig it up it didn't have laughs but it did have smiles and goodwill abounded when playing this game and that's a nice thing to have on a game night Mm mm-hmm This game retails for about $15 in game stores and online. And if you have thoughts about the game, let us know. We're at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Our next game up this week is Nevermore, designed by Kurt Covert, published by Smirk and Dagger Games. In 2015, number of players, 3 to 6, ages 14 and up, runtime 45 to 60 minutes. Ed brought this game to the table. Where'd you find this game, Ed? I first saw this game while I was being playtested at Gamer's Gambit in Danbury, Connecticut. And tell us a little bit about how it's played. Well, the players are dealt a hand of five cards, and then they have to draft uh, three times, passing first three cards, then two cards, and finally one card to the next player. And then, in the resolution phase, the five different suit effects are resolved. The players who have the most cards in that suit benefit from that suit's ability. And the strength of that ability is determined by the player's total minus the second most total. So the four main powers are attack, healing, victory, and radiance. But ravens work a little bit differently. Having only one or two ravens, you have to discard that many cards from your hand. Three to four ravens might earn you some shadow magic cards, and then having five ravens will end the round, damage all the other players, get you shadow magic and a victory point. Yeah! Caw! Caw! <laughs> <laughs> the first of many caws in this review. <laughs> and on that note, if you help drop to zero, you become a raven. Unable to win, but you can do other things, and you can transform back later and win. The last human standing, or the first player to get six victory points, wins the game. And why did you bring this game to the group? It's a casual card drafting game with a cool Edgar Allan Poe theme. We were all at the table for this game. Evan, what did you think? As the instructions say, it's a game for three to six treacherous players. You gotta love games that make character judgments right in the first line of the instructions. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, how about you? I found this game very frustrating. I was bewildered by some of the rules, but 
Others at the table found it easy, so I'm not really comfortable holding that against the game. And Mike, how about you? There's a special type of fun slash frustration to drafting games, and this one's no exception. Ed, how about you? Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Coming here to play nevermore. Hmm, will I play this game nevermore? Let's talk. Start with some positives, please. <laughs> I got to play this game while I was being developed. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that's that. That's a nice insight. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually didn't have a Raven-like theme, Edgar Allan Poe theme to start with. Oh. It was just kind of a generic theme, but... Uh, well, we saw it pretty early in the development. Yeah, we did, yep. There was no uh, avoidance of player elimination at first, and he needed one, so he's like, hmm. And when the theme came together, he... He came up with the Raven and turning into the Raven. I thought it was a pretty cool evolution to the game. Right. So a player, instead of getting eliminated, you turn into a Raven. And actually on the box cover, uh, the there is a picture of a person either turning into a Raven or turning back from a Raven. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish it, you could see it a little bit better on the box cover. The art is nice, but the whole idea of it being a human turning is kind of lost in the because the big word nevermore covers that area and the o mm. becomes part of the i of the guy changing and that it, it, the whole thing would have been a little bit better i think if it wasn't so uh, obfuscated on the cover the colors and the shapes on the cards themselves seemed stark and intense in a way i found both immersive and jarring which you know worked well with this game yeah it's good with the theme yeah, the the different suits. Now I think the suits are kind of based off the the concept of a deck of tarot cards. Yeah, I, I felt that as well. The pictures were nice, and they felt very magical. They had bright colors, so the, and it made drafting very easy. It had a bit of a poker feel in that way. Yeah, except you're just trying to match a, a multitude of symbols together, which is even easier than poker. Also, you get a little information when you're passing cards to people, and by what cards you're receiving. So even though there's simple symbology on there, you still have a lot of information as to what's going on in the rest of the game. Yeah, I think there's a really cool mind game going on when you're drafting because you're seeing what cards one person passed in here, and then you have to be careful and mindful of what cards you're passing to the next player because you don't want to be setting them up for a big score. That's right. You don't want to keep dumping the same amount, same types of cards to the same player for all three rounds of the drafting. Otherwise, you're feeding them six of the same card and they may have five cards and come back and nail you. Yeah, I mean, you want you might want to get rid of your ravens, but if you've already passed like three ravens to the other person, you're in danger of having them bust out all ravens and then screw everybody. Yeah, because five ravens are really powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. ravens in your hand suck until you have five of them, then they're great. Yeah, it's, it's similar to hearts that way. You don't want to feed someone three high hearts because you're going to give them the opportunity to shoot the moon. But, I mean, if you're stuck with one raven uh, or two ravens, that can really screw your hand up, too. So you are tempted to pass them as often as possible, but you just have to be careful. Yeah, so the strategy there would be don't even try to collect five ravens unless you've got three already <laughs> in your hand. Yeah, if you start with, like, three or four of them, maybe try to collect ravens. But the magic cards might actually adjust that strategy because there's some cards that allow you to, you know, oh, I'll count this card as a raven. Oh, my gosh. Those those magic cards. Ugh. Right. The addition to this game from just drafting is you have your draft cards, then you have magic cards. Um, if you win the, the Radiant round, you get light magic cards. And if you have remaining Sulk and Ravens, you can earn shadow magic cards. And those magic cards 
chaos up the game quite nicely, actually. Oh, yeah, they do. They don't seem very strong sometimes when you read them, but I think every single one of them has a good time to use it, which makes it a pretty powerful card. They are very powerful cards. Mm-hmm. One round, we had all ra- lose all Radiance cards. Everyone throw away your Radiance cards. So if that's what you were collecting that round, you're <laughs> good luck. You're You're dead. You're doomed. Yes, and then there's also some of the, uh, the light magic cards are very protective. There was one that now basically said get rid of all ravens. I made a poor strategy decision in that I was focusing more on victory points and my health and maintaining my health. And I largely ignored the magic cards, which worked out to my detriment because the magic cards I felt were so powerful, you kind of really needed them in order to help either protect yourself or deliver some kind of... Ki- killing mm-hmm, blow or mm-hmm. coup de gras to your opponent. I mean, I thought your strategy was solid, Evan. You, you look like you were on a good path to victory there. Yeah, I underestimated the power of those magic cards. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the magic cards ended up taking me out, too. So Oh, yes. I transformed into the raven. I got to get into the cool part of the game, in my thought. Uh, That's I mean, right. You're not just eliminated. Now, no, now you can actually annoy the other players, which is fun. When you attack, do two damage to your attacker. Oh, it's dead! It's dead! Yes! What I mean, SmackDown. He's a raven. He still gets to mess with people. (laughs) Joe had like eight magic cards, though, in his hand at one point, right? Much to our dismay. I thought he was going to go bananas one round and just start crushing us with him. Yeah, too many magic cards, I think, could slow the game down. A couple of times, I, I did sort of go through phases in the game where I didn't really care whether or not I was winning or not, or I didn't. I sort of ditched the concept of trying to build a strategy, and I was just sort of, okay, what's the most annoying thing I could do right now to derail what everyone else is trying to do? I mean, Smirk and Dagger always provides a lot of ways to throw a monkey wrench into everybody's plans. That's kind of their MO as a company. Oh, yeah, and that's something I like about this game is that you lose all your life, okay? It's not game over for you. You still get to play, and you still get a chance at at resurrection. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a really cool element to the game. Yeah, and actually, you're as a raven, you're really not that helpless either. It's not just a consolation prize. You're pretty dangerous as a raven. But yet, you're unable to win unless you get the, the mana to get a couple of special conditions. Right. You can actually make everybody in the game lose, right? If you just eliminate everybody as a raven? Well, uh, yes, you'd have to eliminate more than uh, two players at the same time. To win, you can be the only human left, or you can have six victory points, or you can be the raven that pecked everyone else to death. <laughs> okay i like that yeah <laughs> see i think you'd like a lot of uh smirk and daggers games because they all have an element of that kind of uh backstabbiness to them <laughs> that's definitely the theme of his uh his game generally the, uh his tagline is uh, games are more fun when you can stab a friend in the back <laughs> but he, he has expanded his brand to new games which will hopefully t- try out with smirk and laughter Interesting. I like Clever. it. I like that a Clever. lot. I'm excited to to try one of those. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Nevermore. Joe? I had a very hard time playing this, but I'm going to chalk that up to my own weakness at the subtle evaluation of my opponent's intentions that is so critical of certain card games. I'll dig it up for now and keep searching for that bomb in Gilead. Whether Tempter sent or whether Tempest tossed this game ashore. <laughs> Oh, I got to follow that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Uh, the subtle strategy and simplicity of this game works for me, so I say dig it up. And Evan, how about you? Cutthroat card game with good mechanics. Despite the overpowerful light and dark magic cards, there's still enough strategy and decisions you can make, so I say dig it up. Ed, how about you? 
It's a good casual game that has a nice amount of strategy and a drafting as you try to determine what you're passing to the next player. And I'll dig it up as I wonder the tap, tap, tapping at my chamber door. As a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe, I really would have liked to have seen the theme be more meaningful to the play here. So for me personally, I'm going to say bury it for that reason. Ed, where can you find this game? Oh, I've seen this game available online at my local hobby store. Retail for about $30, you might be able to get it for a little less. And if you have thoughts about Nevermore, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Roundabout Ludo. We played the 1975 version designed by a drunk giraffe. <laughs> in other words uh-huh. unknown <laughs> okay and giraffes are pretty massive it's harder to get them drunk than you might think right right uh so there is no design credit published by brio number of players two to four ages five and up runtime not listed okay evan you brought this game to the table where'd you find it bought it online used Very used. Tell us a little bit about how this game is played. Each player has four pieces in their starting position. Now to get onto the board, you roll a one or a six and you're in. You work your pieces around the ring, starting with the outermost ring. The rings are interconnected at strategic points, so aim for those spaces so you can move to the inner rings. Get to the last ring in the center of the board, land on one of the magic ending spaces, and that's the game. (laughs) That is indeed the game. (laughs) And Evan, why did you bring this game to the table? I brought it to the group because it was old, cheap, and foreign. And it looked like a dud, and I like subjecting my friends to games that look bad. (laughs) We love you, Evan. We love you. You're welcome. (laughs) Ed, you are at the table for this game. What do you think? You go round and round trying to find the game. (laughs) Um, And Joe, how about you? Well, I wasn't at the table for this game. My experience with Ludo-type games is limited to Trouble, Sorry, and uh, Parcheesi. And I played them mostly in my childhood. I didn't have too much interest in them after that. Evan, how about you? When you're still reading the basic rules of the game right up to the last move, you know something's not quite right. One, two, one, two, three, four, five. See? No. Why can't you win? Oh, yeah. I can win. I won. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Mm. I had a lot of fun reading up on the history of Ludo, and that's about the only entertainment (laughs) I got out of this game. Wait, but what about our interaction at the table and our <laughs> comments and the ha-has? Yeah, I mean... Some of that was fun, right? It was... We were frustrated, I think, from the first turn. Uh, as Ludo games go, and Ludo is a whole category of games, uh, mm-hmm. including the very famous Parcheesi, uh, this, as Ludo games go, this game was subpar. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that the directions were less than clear. Less than clear because of translation problems, I think. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Square. Where is the square on this board? Everything's round. Oh, yeah. They (laughs) allude to the square, and there is not a square to be found. Nope. This particular Ludo game, I did like the fact that it was a cool metal board, something you'd probably never see today, with magnetic pieces. That was neat. 
that was neat. It was probably innovative in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> now, ab- about the translation, though, I think the rules were, I believe, originally written in Swiss and then translated into about 10 other languages, if you can believe it, in the, in the rule pamphlet that they give you, including the language Great Britain. <laughs> Which is English, but by the rest of us. So I think it. I think uh, the English translation version was more of an afterthought because some of these rules just did not translate well, if at all. And actually, the idea that it was translated into a whole bunch of languages makes sense because Ludo is extremely popular in some parts of the world. Particularly in uh, Europe and uh, Africa, right? I haven't heard so much about it being popular in Europe. Yeah, I saw a lot of tournaments in India and Africa when I was looking into Ludo, and it was interesting. I mean, I really wondered what the heck makes Ludo games popular. Well, I was wondering what, if anything, might be the single epicenter, if there, you know, if there was a single epicenter of the worldwide resurgence that seems to be going on in this game that's been around for such a long time. And the closest thing I can come to to an answer is the horror film Ludo, actually, from <laughs> Bengali director Kaushik Mukherjee, released in 2015. And it's what I I missed that one. It's a horror film about four teenagers who cross paths with an old woman in the eerie mall who wants them to engage in a deadly game of Ludo. <laughs> uh, Really? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, comments from India about the film mentioned that an Indian horror film, unlike Western horror films, would not center on the manifestation of some absolutely you know, evil eternal force, mm-hmm. but rather on the confusion and other mayhem that the fight with fear can bring to people. I didn't realize we were playing such a spiritually deep game here. <laughs> I mean, there's a few reasons I could see why this game would be popular. What is Ludo? It's basically take dice, roll it, move your pieces from home to the center. That's it. That's the game. There's hundreds of different versions of this game. They are all essentially the same thing. Now, what could possibly be so engrossing about this? Well, I mean, I think a few things. It's easy to pick up. It's incredibly easy to teach. You can draw your own board. You don't even need to have a commercial board for this. It's basically lines and circles to mark off locations and then roll and go. So I saw lots of homemade versions of this game. I saw lots of versions of it uh, in apps because it's public domain. As far as you can tell from your research into it, is it a common uh, characteristic of most or all Ludo games of being sent back to the start? Uh, yes. So there, the one very common rule that you'll run into with Ludo games is if you, as one of the players, passes the piece of another player, you end up sending that player's piece home. That's just like one of the very few strategic uh, things you can do in a Ludo game. But that particular rule has caused the game to gain a reputation for frustration. So in some languages, the name of this game is literally has to do with the frustration of the game. In Germany, it's called Eiger Dichnicht, which means, man, don't get upset. (laughs) (laughs) I remember from my childhood, around the time that I was occasionally playing Trouble, a commercial for a game very much like that, literally called Aggravation. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Yeah, they had these Laurel and Hardy type guys going through all these incredibly frustrating accidents and stuff in this like little 10 second clip. (laughs) 
<laughs> about it and like Charlie Chaplin kind of music. But uh, I would think that it could be illustrative of a cultural difference in how to deal with frustration. I mean, Westerners want to, you know, for better or worse, I mean, when Americans are frustrated by something, they want to find a way to find the source of their frustration and destroy it or just batter the way through it. There is a uh, a little frustration just trying to get out the door because the... Uh... Only a one or a six will get your pieces on the board. That's also a universal theme among Ludo games, is having to roll a six to get out. Yeah, but another universal feature of Ludo games is that you're supposed to get all your pieces to the final landing spot. According to the directions of this game, you only need to get one of your pieces. The other three pieces become somewhat superfluous. Did it actually say that, or, or was it merely unclear we were being hopeful because we wanted the game over? No, I wanted it to go. I, I thought it should be all four pieces to the center and you have to occupy the four spots. Why give us four pieces if uh, if we didn't need to get all of them to the center? Exactly. But hey, when you have these weirdly translated rules that don't exactly explicitly say that, this is what you're left with. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Brio's Roundabout Ludo. Ed, how about you? Well, you could play Roundabout Ludo. But then you'd be sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, how about you? I often found the games that I mentioned earlier in the podcast frustrating, and I suspect I would bury this one. But then again, some games are not enjoyed in ways that we can easily recognize. Evan, how about you? Well, let me help you out there, Joe. If a standard grave is six feet deep, bury this one 60 (laughs) feet deep. (laughs) I mean... I'm looking for a way for my kids to even enjoy this game, with the exception of the fact that you can play this game upside down because it's magnetic, and you could put it under a table, glue it there, and play, laying down (laughs) on the floor. Despite the coolness factor of the metal board and the magnetic pieces, I am definitely going to bury this particular Ludo game. There's just, it's not even enough going on for Ludo. Evan, where can you find this game? I found mine online at Etsy again. Five bucks, if you must. (laughs) If you have thoughts about Roundabout Ludo or Ludo, just let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. And if you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First? And our patron supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming! Happy gaming! Happy gaming. Enjoy your Ludo! 